Dorit Rosler, who uh, was a female doctor, when they asked about, what have you done the same to your daughter, if your daughter were uh, an athlete? And she said, that, yeah, probably I would have done it. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. In the early 1970s, the athletes of East Germany started to achieve incredible sports results, winning medals and setting new world records with astonishing frequency. For many years, their sporting supremacy was held as a triumph of the socialist government's commitment to scientific research and innovative training methods. However, after the Cold War ended, the Stasi archives revealed a sinister secret behind the successes. A perverse doping system imposed by the government itself. Drugs were administered to young athletes, often without their consent, and the price their bodies are now paying is very high, both physically and mentally. I talked with Joseph Tudor, the author of a new book called Synthetic Metals, which reveals the events that led to the discovery of the state doping system and the subsequent trial. It also explores the state's motives for this crime against its own people. You can buy the book via the links in the episode notes and help support the podcast. The Cold War conversation continues in our vibrant Facebook discussion group and on Twitter, just search for Cold War Conversations on Facebook and we're at Cold War Pod on Twitter. Now, Cold War history is disappearing, but a simple monthly donation will help keep this podcast on the air. You'll be part of our community, you'll get a sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Hi, I'm Sean from Perth, Western Australia, and I support the Cold War Conversations podcast because these are the real stories of the world I grew up in. If a monthly contribution is not your cup of tea, we also welcome one-off donations via coldwarconversations.com slash donate. I'm delighted to welcome Joseph Tudor to our Cold War Conversation. After the Second World War, Germany was split into two countries, and the eastern part was uh, controlled by the Soviet Union. Control of Soviet Union was uh, so oppressive that, in the end, the new government couldn't actually decide anything without the approval of the Soviet Union. At some point, they realized that the only way they had to put themselves uh, on the map was port. So they checked out with Stalin first, of course, and um, Stalin didn't care much about sports. So they say, so he said, okay, that's fine. You can do whatever you like with sports, no problems with that. So they did. And the first thing to do was to nationalize all the um, sports clubs. The, uh, the, the government tried to encourage its citizens to enroll in sports clubs uh, and uh, to uh, uh, be um, active, to be fit. And uh, um, it wasn't easy because obviously we are talking about the late 40s. So the country was still uh, devastated by uh, the war and it wasn't an easy task. But they were so determined that they succeeded to. Uh, to build uh, eventually the best uh, 
sports recruitment system in, in the world, possibly. Uh, let's not forget that they only had uh, 15 million people and uh, they managed to uh, uh, create, to produce a lot of uh, sports champions. So they're, they're trying to improve their profile on the world stage through sport. At what point do they start looking at artificial methods to improve their athletes' performance? After they started to um, build the Olympic movement, because of obviously that was a something that every country took for granted, uh, having uh, um, an Olympic committee, but it wasn't the same for uh, East Germany. And um, they formed one, but took many years before it was actually approved by the International Olympic Committee. Once that happened, they started to compete internationally. At some point, they realized that doping was one of the ways that could help to achieve a certain success. Um, but that obviously wasn't the only uh, means. The, the other part was to uh, create um, a recruitment system, first of all. And uh, once they had the raw material uh, in speech marks, that was uh, young uh, people, uh, teen, uh, young teenagers, uh, uh, obviously, they um, needed to uh, train them and uh, they had to make sure that they were fit enough to become uh, competitors uh, on the international scene. Uh, there was another means that had to create the difference between uh, them and uh, other athletes. So they uh, tried to enhance their performance with uh, drugs and uh, they tried amphetamines first and uh, eventually steroids. Steroids were the uh, drugs that they decided to use and testosterone was uh, the one they went for in the end. They used it for many, many years and uh, one of the advantages was that it was uh, not uh, a forbidden substance at that time. In the we're talking about the fifties, the sixties, and so they could use it without any problem. Uh, obviously, the International uh, Olympic Committee uh, warned the uh, nations uh, the, the, uh, not to use drugs, but they didn't have at that time any real um, method to find out if they <laughs> would use drugs or not. So it was uh, just a sort of moral stance, but not, nothing else. Uh, so the, the East German government took advantage of these. Um, that was up to... In 1972, where they started to uh, uh, find ways to um, detect testosterone, and then things changed. Uh, but East Germany was uh, um, able to adapt very quickly, as we'll see. I mean, as well as the drugs, their training regime was quite unique as well, wasn't there? There was a lot, a lot of science and focus on on the training. Obviously, the drugs helped. But the training was really effective as well of the uh, athletes. Yeah, the training was uh, second to none. It was one of the best in the world because they they spent a lot of money to create uh, uh, what was the DHFK. Uh, it was a sort of university of physical uh, education. And uh, they were probably the only, the only country in the world to have such institution. Uh, obviously, um, recruitment started at an early age uh, and uh, 
once uh, people were scouted, they uh, went into these schools. So there were special schools where st- students could study and do sport at the same time. Sometimes they would allow students to study one or two extra years because obviously they would dedicate uh, time to uh, I don't know literature or maths or science. Uh, uh, the, the time for these subjects was uh, uh, was inferior, obviously, and uh, so they they could c- catch up with them by uh, remaining in a school a couple of extra years. Then they had uh, machines that. Today, we take for granted when we go uh, and visit a gym, but at that time, they were quite uh, extraordinary, state-of-the-art equipment. They had computers, they had um, slow-motion recorders, they, they were able to detect uh, all the errors so that an athlete could do in uh, uh, doing training so they could uh, um, fix those uh, errors. They also had uh, um, a swimming channel where water would flow in the opposite direction um, as motion of, uh, of, the, uh, of the swimmer and that was uh, incredibly tiring. The uh, athletes described this as a, as a torture uh, but it was incredibly effective uh, um, and Enhancing the um, technique of uh, of these swimmers, uh, so it wasn't just the drugs; it was uh, also incredibly advanced system that East Germany alone created. Other other countries obviously looked at the East German system with uh, envy. They um, managed to send some journalists, uh, and uh, there were quite a few that had the possibility to visit these uh, facilities in Leipzig, in Dresden, in Berlin, and um, they reported uh, what they saw, obviously, and they were quite uh, enthusiastic. And uh, these were reporters from uh, the most advanced countries, from Canada, from Doug Gilbert, for instance, was uh, he wrote a, a book on the um, East German system. He called it the miracle machine. So these journalists came from uh, countries that were, they competed against these German artists. They were supposed to win, but they lost all the time and they wanted to know why that happened. So yes, technology was uh, the, probably the first uh, thing that created uh, the East German uh, athlete phenomenon. And I would say that drugs improved it, but that was uh, the the very first thing. Without the uh, investment in technology, the uh, East German miracle wouldn't have happened. The story of Doug Gilbert is an interesting one that you you feature in the book. Uh, People will have to buy the book to hear how fascinating that aspect of the story is. But um, the book's full of pieces of uh, information that I had no knowledge about and some fascinating stories of the background behind the East German sort of athlete machine, really, it was, of, of, of producing these, um, these incredible athletes. But one of, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, um, when did East Germany make their first breakthrough as far as medal success? When did they start to appear to be winning more than they had before? 
Yeah, initially they uh, weren't allowed to uh, take part in Olympic Games uh, by themselves. So they, uh, the International Olympic Committee, uh, they, they want them to take part with uh, Germany, uh, with West Germany together as a sort of unified Germany uh, team. This was something that irritated the two countries. They didn't want that, but... At that time, it was the best, uh, according to the IOC, was the best thing to do. And uh, this carried on for years uh, um, in the 60s. And the first time that East, Germ- East Germany was allowed to compete uh, by, the, by itself, it was uh, at the um, uh, Olympics in Mexico in 1968, uh, they could compete by themselves and they uh, managed to uh, grab uh, quite a few medals. I think it was a nine gold medals so they got first time. And um, there was also the uh, moment where they tried to uh, present uh, an athlete that was uh, completely gone uh, under the uh, so-called state doping. Uh, they chose uh, Margita Gummel, who was uh, a shot putter, and uh, in a matter of months, they uh, helped her to improve her performance by uh, something like two meters. And she won gold medal. She uh, set a new world record. And uh, she was a sort of uh, guinea pig for, for the, the, the sports system. Um, and uh, the, the experiment was uh, clearly a success. And um, after they realized that uh, that the way they used the uh, doping was the correct one, and uh, so they uh, started using it extensively uh, with other athletes. Uh, very often, uh, the athletes didn't know they were taking drugs, especially those who were very young. Um, and uh, uh, and later, in 1972, there was probably the explosion of East Germany, especially in swimming. Um, they um, they won so many uh, medals. And then uh, four years later, in uh, uh, Montreal, 1976, uh, uh, they established themselves as the, the leading nations. They came, I think, second behind the Soviet Union in the medal table uh, so many times. Uh, and uh, most importantly for them, <laughs> they came before uh, West Germany um, and the United States. This was quite extraordinary for a country, as we said before, that had only uh, 70, 15, 17 million people, depending on the decade, uh, and the, the, again, the uh, merit of this was, uh, um, I think, the incredible uh, uh, organizational skills of uh, uh, the uh, sports ministry and uh, obviously the doping uh, itself. It was a combination of the two. Um, then, of course, as we know, they um, couldn't compete in uh, um, uh, Los Angeles because of the uh, boycott. And then uh, in Seoul, it was the the last time in 1988, the last time they uh, took part in the Olympic Games. I think one of the most interesting facts that I saw in the book that even after East Germany had uh, reunified with West Germany, there was a, a Barcelona Olympics that for the unified Germany, 60% of the medals were won by former GDR athletes 
who were presumably not taking drugs at that point. Which sort of proves the the effectiveness of that training regime, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, um, it is a period that it is. Uh, uh, it was described by um, journalists at that time uh, as a period above suspicion, because uh, obviously uh, now we had the uh, uni- unified Germany, United Germany, and. Uh, the, the, whatever suspect there was uh, um, on East German um, success, uh, it all of a sudden disappeared. I remember that because at that time I was uh, yeah, um, a teenager. And uh, I remember that um, East German athletes, uh, they, well, they won all the time, obviously, but um, occasionally you had uh, the, the, um, some journalists, some pundits to uh, just uh, um, talk about uh, how weird uh, the, certain women appeared. They, they looked like uh, males. Obviously, they discussed their performance. They, the, the fact that they said world record after world record was suspicious at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, they they there weren't any accusations because obviously it's German is generally was they were they were very clever at uh, never failed a, a doping test. And uh, so eventually all the uh, suspects evaporated. But um, when they uh, compete, these athletes went to compete for uh, East Germany. And we're talking about athletes such as uh, Heike Drexler, for instance, a very famous one. She was from East East Germany and then she competed for uh, Germany. Um, She won so many medals afterwards, but um, nobody said anything about her. And... um, or, or, or the other athletes. So the Germany wins. So they were considered clean, and uh, there weren't any uh, suspicion uh, suspicion at all. So this, uh, this went on for for many years uh, until uh, yeah, the, the, the truth came out. With East Germany's success, unusual success, there must have been suspicions with the IOC and and others about why they were suddenly becoming so successful? Um, there are suspicions. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> the first thing they, uh, the IOC did was to uh, create a proper uh, system to counteract doping. They knew that uh, not just in Germany, but uh, the doping was more and more uh, um, diffused between athletes. And uh, one of the problem was that at some point uh, people started to feel sick and die because of doping. So let's say that until all the 1960s, the IOC didn't uh, didn't do much, uh, maybe also because there wasn't, uh, um, I don't know, the uh, proper technology. They didn't have enough money to invest in the technology able to detect uh, um, uh, drugs. Uh, um, but at some point, when the athletes started to feel sick and die, they decided that the time came to actually uh, check these athletes out and see if they uh, um, they took something. So they did, and the uh, first time they started to check on athletes was uh, in uh, uh, the Giro d'Italia, the cycling race, and they... Um, they, uh, they Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. 
I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Called some out from them. They moved on to the um, Olympics in Mexico, 1968, and they started to uh, suspend uh, athletes because they uh, they were positive to uh, certain drugs. After that, um, the, with the explosion of these German uh, athletes, the, there were suspicions that they were taking drugs, and uh, obviously. There were some athletes who defected and defected from East Germany. They went to, the, to West Germany and they told stories of uh, um, doping, but they they weren't believed at the time. IOC did everything they could, obviously, but the East German government was very well prepared to uh, counteract this. And uh, as soon as they used uh, um, better machines, to, a better technology to uh, um, detect the drugs, they suspected, Pended a uh, uh, training for a, for a, for a while and uh, try to find new ways to, we, without being found out at, uh, um, after competitions and uh, they so they decided not to send athletes if they thought they uh, they might be caught and after that they developed uh, some uh, strategies and. Uh, uh, they developed the right technology. They bought a very expensive uh, um, Hewlett-Packard uh, m- machine, a gas uh, spectrometer, and uh, they um, they were able to uh, detect any infinitesimal substance uh, uh, of uh, doping in uh, their own athletes. And they knew that if uh, 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 the urine uh, uh, resulted in um, presented uh, any trace of doping, they wouldn't go to compete. They would stay home. So the, everything was uh, uh, planned. There was in the history of uh, East uh, German East German sports only one athlete was uh, caught. It was quite extraordinary. They they didn't expect that, and uh, when that happened, they took countermeasures. Obviously, till the end of the uh, the, the collapse of East Germany, uh, no athlete was ever caught at um, doping tests. So, were they using this in other sports other than athletics and and swimming? So, for example, in football and other sports, were they using these these techniques? In East uh, Germany, the most uh, popular sport was actually football. Um, although, yeah, they are, East German athletes are famous. So they are known for uh, their uh, performances in uh, uh, athletics and swimming and uh, gymnastics. But football was still a sport number one for um, fans and supporters. Uh, as it was the same in West Germany, let's not forget that 
East Germany, that it was still a country made made of Germans, and they had the same culture, the same traditions. So, so they love football. There were uh, cases in which um, some uh, football players uh, confessed that they took drugs. Uh, regarding football, uh, oddly enough, the uh, sports minister didn't like much for football players to take drugs. Because uh, the um, football is a, is a kind of different sport where maybe creativity counts more than uh, than doping. It's something that doping can't really help you with, and uh, so they um, they didn't want football players to take drugs unless uh, they were involved in international football matches so all the UEFA matches they were allowed to to, to take there but otherwise in uh, domestic competitions so they, the the Oberliga the, um, the which was the, the the equivalent of the Premier League in East Germany they didn't like that, and um, at some point there was also a, a black market of <laughs> testosterone growing in this Germany, and the uh, the authorities uh, did everything to stop it. So it is incredible that the country that promoted doping at some point decided to stop it because uh, it wasn't. Uh, um, they, they, they understood it wasn't really necessary at that time, and um, so, the, the, so this is what they did. But yeah, to answer your question, so yeah, absolutely, it was present. The, the distribution wasn't exactly like the one for uh, um, athletics or swim, uh, swimming athletes. Uh, um, uh, that was a proper state-sponsored doping program. That wasn't, uh, uh, there wasn't one for football. So in football, it was more like individual players sourcing drugs yes. and, and using them. So it wasn't like a, the whole team would be drugged, for example. Yes, it might happen, and there are some uh, uh, there's some evidence in the Stasi uh, archives where at some point in some international football matches, the, the entire um, national team took drug. But uh, yes, they, 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 there aren't many uh, declassified documents that expose these. So yeah, we can say that drug, of course, was there as well as evidence uh, shows, but. Not as uh, uh, as the same to the same same extent as uh, in uh, other sports. The the football side particularly interested me because obviously you've got FC Magdeburg who won the uh, Cup Winners Cup in in nineteen seventy four. But I found their manager really interesting is that he was actively resisting the Stasi trying to help them win that because I think the Stasi. Uh, had put bugs in the opposition's dressing room and were going to offer the recordings to Magdeburg's manager. And he said, no, I, d- I don't want them. If we're, if we're going to win, we're going to do this fairly. Um, but I think it, it was pretty much a career-ending moment sort of for him because he's uh, they uh, got rid of him in uh, the next year or so, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, it was uh, Heinz Krugel. Uh, yeah, he was um, uh, Magdeburg uh, manager and uh, quite popular uh, person in East uh, Germany. And yeah, as you mentioned, uh, 
uh, he refused to spy on uh, on, on other players. I think they were Bayern Munich player players. Uh, um, they uh, yeah, he refused to um, uh, spy on uh, on the uh, manager, and eventually he was uh, fired. But yeah, the um, his German, but the Stasi was uh, uh, patient, and uh, they waited the right time to um, to fire him uh, because um, or to have him fired because he was a very successful manager and uh, he was uh, loved by everyone. And uh, so they had to wait until yeah, he got an uh, unlucky moment, a series of negative results, and uh, they say they got rid of him. Um, yeah, then he he couldn't find a, a, a job after that, and um, he remained uh, um, yeah, unemployed uh, virtually for the rest of his career. Then uh, when uh, the um, Berlin Wall fell and he was uh, rehabilitated uh, and uh, he eventually got a managerial job uh, uh, again uh, uh, with Magdeburg uh, until he died. And um, yes, there is... uh, he was the most successful manager in, uh, in for Magdeburg and in East Germany, actually. And uh, he uh, they dedicated a statue to him. And in Magdeburg, there's a in front uh, the, in front of the stadium, there is a, a, a quite nice uh, statue of him holding the cup winners' cup. Yeah, he won against AC Milan. Uh, quite a, an achievement because AC Milan was a very strong side. One of the Italian sides was uh, trying trying to get him as a manager. Yeah, it was a Juventus. Juventus, okay. Yeah, Juventus tried to sign him, and uh, uh, they also wanted um, uh, Martin Hoffman, who was uh, a Magdeburg striker. Uh, at that time, it was very difficult anyway for an a player from the uh, Eastern Bloc to go, go and play in um, in the West. As far as I can remember, that it, I mean, we didn't have Russian players or Bulgarian players playing in the, the, the Premier League or First Division or Serie A. It, 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 we had to wait to the uh, 1990s, 1991, before seeing this player. So I... So I don't know if it was technically possible to have a manager from East Germany uh, working in Turin, but if they tried, it probably it was probably possible. Um, fascinating, fascinating. So, I mean, the fall of the Berlin Wall is a good point for us to talk about Beren Donk and Franka and their work in terms of starting to uncover what had actually gone on in East Germany? We can say they are the um, heroes of the story, you might say. Um, yeah, Brigitte Berendonk was an East German athlete who defected in the early 60s. And uh, uh, so she went to live in West Germany. Uh, at some point, she met uh, Werner Franke, who is a professor of molecular biology. So he is an expert in chemical chemistry. And uh, together, they 
developed a sort of some sort of theory according to um, Brigitte Berendonk obviously there was a doping circulating in uh, in East Germany and uh, that was uh, um, the worst the worst kind because it was a state doping uh, she didn't have any evidence she uh, tried to gather evidence as she tried to interview athletes who defected from the east um, but that of course uh, wasn't hard evidence she needed uh, documents um, and uh, Werner Franke from um, the scientific point of view tried to um, study the phenomenon and try to understand and explain what testosterone can do to uh, people and uh, why they what why athletes would use testosterone so there were a few uh, publications uh, um in, during the 70s and the 80s that um were quite extraordinary for that time but again uh, there wasn't really any evidence to um accuse this german system with the fall of the berlin wall it was possible for them to access the Stasi archives. It wasn't easy because uh, the bureaucrats of the, of the ministry, they tried to destroy as much documents as they could, and uh, they, they succeeded in, uh, um, uh, in, in, in doing that. But at some point, uh, Werner Frank and Brigitte Berendonk, they found a sort of secret... Uh, it was a secret place. It was in a hosp- military hospital where they they had copies of the uh, documents that were destroyed by the Stasi that were the, in the uh, in the center at the, in Berlin. They found uh, um, a lot of um, uh, interesting materials. They found names of athletes. They found names of doctors, uh, politicians involved with the state doping. At that point, the state doping had a name. It was called the Staatsplan Thema. Uh, means uh, state plan uh, so what they did was to uh, administer uh, drugs testosterone mainly to young athletes and uh, all of these was uh, documented was uh, recorded then Brigitte Berendon took uh, this material and uh, published a book. The book, of course, was uh, was quite sensational because uh, for the first time it revealed the truth behind the uh, success of uh, East German athletes. The fact that they published this book and the fact that there were also some uh, prominent doctors, uh, um, physicians, uh, uh, managers, trainers uh, that started to confess what they did uh, during the 70s and the 80s. And uh, they encouraged the German justice to uh, to set up a trial. So eventually in uh, 1997, they started the so-called doping process uh, which was a doping trial. So in three years, uh, uh, 1997 to 2000, uh, they, the German justice and uh, Frank and, uh, and Berendonk, they managed to, to interview uh, all these people and uh, the confessions are quite extraordinary in the book. Uh, there are so many examples of them. Uh, some, of course, try to deny <laughs> what they were doing or, or some 
um, admitted they um, what they did, but they um, justified themselves uh, saying that they were just following orders, uh, you know, the usual uh, yeah. excuse. Yeah, we've heard that before, haven't we, somewhere? Can't remember yes. where. <laughs> so eventually, the, 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 the funny thing with the... With the with the trial and the doping process was that eventually it wasn't possible to send anyone to jail because uh, um, there was a legal big legal problem. It wasn't a crime in East Germany, so in East Germany it was legal. Uh, it, it was sponsored by the uh, by the government. So um, how could they? Uh, put on trial uh, uh, such people. So there was a quite uh, interesting legal aspect. Uh, So eventually they decided to uh, to do the trial anyway, but the the main main people responsible were just condemned to fine, just to pay a fine and nothing else. Uh, um, And it was impossible to put the uh, leading politicians uh, on trial. uh, They they just were able to, to dock people involved with the sports aspect of uh, of uh, of the doping, so the, the sports ministry, of course, was there, and uh, all physicians involved with the uh, university uh, in uh, Leipzig, uh, and of course, um, a lot of uh, uh, trainers were there. There were the um, incredible uh, stories of all uh, the athletes that testified, and uh, they uh, told their stories, and all stories are quite extraordinary. They're sad stories, obviously, but I I believe it was uh, uh, only fair to make these stories uh, available to uh, a wider public. Yeah, and they are incredible stories. As Joseph says some of them are incredibly sad. Some of them are, are powerful stories of trying to resist the drugs regime. And the fact that they were giving these to really young athletes and they were putting pressure on the parents as well, weren't they? Because it, once you were in this program, it wasn't very easy to leave. Yes. Although we have to say that um, the, the situations could be different depending on um, on the, the 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 place, on the sports club, on the people involved, uh, and but yes, uh, uh, there was an aspect that was. Uh, uh, quite interesting uh, because once uh, these teenagers uh, showed that they were metal material, they were quite precious, and the sports club tried everything to uh, enhance their performances. But they didn't want them to leave. They obviously communicated a lot with parents uh, because they believed that an unhappy uh, 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 child uh, wouldn't perform well. So they were convinced that uh, the um, parents' approval was uh, uh, something necessary. However, I didn't say that. Sometimes it happened that the child wasn't happy, for, well, for different reasons. Uh, the, the, the training uh, regime was quite harsh, and some teenagers couldn't uh, bear it, and uh, they wanted to leave at some point, but uh, they weren't allowed. Uh, so, they, so the um, establishment started to uh, threaten the families. Uh, families would uh, would get uh, some uh, bonuses because uh, of the children's performances, such as uh, a better flat, maybe, or um, or a trabant, <laughs> or um, better salary, a better job position. So they um, there were sort of 
a weird trade um, going on and uh, uh, all these things might disappear overnight if the child decided to withdraw from uh, the sports club. Sometimes this didn't happen. Sometimes you could have a child leaving the sports club and nothing would happen to his or her parents. But uh, there, uh, there were consequences for parents, uh, and in some cases, as we can see in the book, there were some. Uh, um, the, the whole family uh, suffered the consequences of uh, uh, of an athlete leaving the sports club or even defecting to West Germany. The mom and sisters and brothers are losing their job and uh, losing their uh, social uh, position so, overnight. So uh, it was quite um, difficult for uh, these for, for these people. Probably the most devastating side of this is the side effects that these drugs were having on the athletes as well. I mean, I found that particularly shocking as to the doctors and many of the trainers who were administering these or, or giving these um, these young people and, and older athletes these drugs were aware of what the side effects would be, but in the pursuit of gold medals for East Germany, continued to use these. Yeah, this was one of the uh, lines of defence uh, uh, defence strategies at the trial, but uh, uh, it didn't last uh, uh, because uh, um, um, the side effects of uh, testosterone uh, side effects were known uh, since the 60s, so they were in the medicine books, uh, so there really wasn't uh, an excuse. And, um, yeah, among the uh, side effects, uh, uh, we, we can have uh, liver problems, for instance, this is one quite common, then the problems with the uh, heart, uh, Cardiac arrhythmia was uh, another one, and uh, there were there were also uh, problems uh, the uh, genitals. Girls uh, they could have uh, some unusual growth of the uh, genitals, and uh, that led to uh, sometimes to a kind of weird sexual drive. So also psychological, uh, so testosterone causes psychological problems because, of course, that makes people more aggressive. It's not the same for all people, but most uh, most girls ex- experience that. It was a bit different for uh, boys, but as as we have uh, seen, uh, a lot of uh, boys who then uh, after years they suffer the consequences of that and uh, there were some people developed prostate cancer uh, testicular cancer liver cancer they, and the um, percentage of these uh, conditions in athletes is much higher than the average uh, citizen so there must be a link between uh, the doping and uh, and uh, um, and these uh, conditions. Yeah, it, 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 that's why it is uh, um, sad because uh, so many people today suffer the consequences of something that they didn't even ask for. Many athletes were not aware that they were taking drugs. Uh, some children started to take drugs uh, when they were eleven or twelve. And uh, at that age, you don't even know the difference between testosterone and sugar. You don't even know what, what these things are. 
And uh, they were told that they were getting vitamins, something not harmful, obviously. Only at a certain age, usually 18, uh, some athletes would uh, come to know or they would reveal to them they were taking some uh, uh, form of doping, but they would never disclose what kind of doping that was. So so it, it was difficult to live once uh, you uh, have been there for many, many years, uh, and uh, especially if you reached glory by winning medals. Uh, but some people did, as we see in the in the book, someone like Cornelia Ender, who was uh, um, very successful uh, athlete, so the, um, was one of the most important athletes at the um, uh, Montreal Olympics. Uh, as soon as she found out that she would be, was taking drugs, she left her sports club straight away and didn't want to have anything to do with sports a- a- anymore. And she was quite famous in the in the West, in mm. the Western world. Um, and uh, like uh, Cornelia and uh, many uh, did the same thing. So it, it, there are different stories. It depends really on the uh, person, on the uh, the personality, um, on life conditions, social conditions. Uh, some athletes decided to carry on. They suspected they were taking drugs, but they they did they didn't care. They they just wanted the benefits, the the bonuses. They they wanted to become famous, whilst others ignore completely. They were taking drugs so so there's a whole spectrum of uh, uh, situations here so there were some athletes that actively didn't take drugs in the east german system or was it almost compulsory there were cases where um, some managers, uh, uh, some uh, trainers refused to administer uh, drugs to their athletes because um, eventually the, this came from the top, obviously. It was an order that went down into, like in a pyramidal fashion and the, at the base of the pyramid there was uh, the uh, trainer. The trainer was the one who eventually had to administer the drugs uh, and uh, some of them refused and they lost their job. Others, uh, well, most of them decided to uh, to carry on. And so from that point of view, uh, there are also some interesting stories because uh, it is a matter of conscience at the end of the day. Um, there's um, the uh, at the trial. Uh, there's Dorit Rosler, who uh, was uh, um, a female doctor. Well, this the only female doctor actually present at the trial, and she knew what she was doing. But uh, when they asked, "But what have you done the same to your daughter? If your daughter were um, uh, an athlete?" And she said, that, "Yeah, probably. I, uh, probably, I, I, I would have done it because uh, at that time we were so." Um, compelled to do it, so confused. I mean, it was uh, it was an order from the, from above, and it was difficult to rebel. Um, so, the, the, uh, essentially, this is what happens in a regime. After all, uh, they create uh, um, uh, a system of paranoia, a system of uh, fear, and uh, it is uh, very difficult for an individual to resist, but. Uh, even in such difficult uh, period, there were um, uh, quite a few people who resisted and uh, and they paid the consequences for that. And um, um, I talk about them in the book. They're quite very interesting stories. They are. 
there's an endless number of interesting stories. I mean, we have literally just scratched the surface of of what's in in the book. Joseph, one of the things that I find fascinating is the legacy of the East German athletic success still exists today. There are still world records that have not been beaten that were set by East German athletes. I always am amazed that whenever I'm watching the Olympics or um, some other athletic competition, they always come up with the women's 400 metres record of Marita Koch, which was set (laughs) as an East German and is still there. I find that just incredible that that that's not been beaten. But presumably that was set through through performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, yeah, according to the uh, Stasi documents, uh, uh, yeah, Marita, Koch and others, uh, uh, they were in the list. So obviously we can assume that it was uh, uh, something uh, uh, chemical involved. And uh, yeah, it is uh, strange that we see. Obviously, the uh, Marita Cox record is not the only long-standing record. For example, Florence Griffith's 200 meters is also quite out of this world and still standing. Um, we have to say also that Marita Cox was an incredible athlete. She was able to run the 100 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters with uh, record-breaking times. Uh, this is... One of the aspects that might puzzle us, uh, that if uh, there wasn't any doping at all, uh, would this athlete uh, be able to perform the same way they did? And this is what the, the question Rika Reinisch, um, um, a swimmer, she won two uh, gold medals in Moscow. And uh, she always asks herself these. uh, Okay, I won two gold medals and a lot of other accolades, but uh, would it it have been the same if if they didn't give me uh, drugs? And uh, it it is really fascinating question because you, you can never know the answer to that. Obviously, you can only speculate. But in one of the uh, chapters, uh, chapters of my uh, book, I uh, analyze this uh, aspect. Uh, and this probably was one of the most interesting things to me um, uh, from this story. Uh, we now know, we now have this idea that East German athletes, uh, of course, cheated and uh, they, they, they won so many medals because they took drugs and so on. And obviously, uh, uh, this is true because uh, there are documents there was a trial, it has been established as true. However, not all athletes uh, might have have taken drugs. And um, there's evidence that uh, some athletes were competed uh, in a clean way. There is no evidence in the Stasi archives that these people took drugs. And uh, we are talking about people were constantly monitored. For example, Katarina uh, Witt, she was uh, a famous skater, ice skater, and um, she was constantly monitored because she was famous in the West and uh, the uh, Stasi were they, 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 um, the Stasi was afraid that she might defect uh, any moment, 
and uh, she was controlled by by secret agents uh, and there are details even on her sexual life but there's nothing not a thing about doping so that's quite interesting it means that she didn't take uh, any uh, we we'll never know the truth but these things should be uh, considered and uh, i sort of play the devil's advocate in um, uh, in the book and try to see if it is possible to rehabilitate some of the east german athletes and uh, not put, putting all of them in the same uh, uh, basket of drugged uh, cheaters uh, people um but there were um people there were trainers that refused to give drugs to the athletes so it must be athletes that they, they didn't take doping and they competed uh, fairly and uh, it is something that should be explored in uh, more detail i think yeah because i you know you've got to have some ability anyway because it's not as though you could give me a load of steroids and i'd be able to run a world record 100 meters i'd probably yeah. barely run 20 meters to be honest you know you've got to have that natural ability and i think you know this is what i was saying at the start around the training and the science that went behind the training helped the east germans win and the drugs also helped to some degree but we never really know to what degree they yeah. did uh, bring in things like 47 gold medals in Moscow. Admittedly, the US weren't competing that year. Winter Olympics in Sarajevo, top of the medals table. Calgary, second in the medals table. Phenomenal, as you say, for a country of that size, but we'll never really be able to determine how much of that success was through to, through to drugs and or whether it was through to you know, natural ability in a really efficient training program. Yes, the, the quick answer is that, yeah, we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was me saying it the real long way around, and you've summarised it beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it's, it's we can only speculate, as I do in the book, and um, there's a chapter dedicated to this. And uh, what I want uh, to make clear is this, that although, yeah, we will never know, but... Uh, I want people to consider seriously the possibility that there were East German athletes that won uh, fairly uh, without um, cheating, without taking drugs, um, because th there is evidence uh, for that. And uh, I really don't, yeah, don't like the fact that uh, they have to be, they all have to be considered cheaters, so that, because this is not true. That's an, an interesting aspect, and I think not an aspect that people would have been would have necessarily been aware of so appreciate mm -hmm. you sharing that did any east german athletes hand back their medals yes uh, quite a few uh, there were some uh, dramatic uh, testimonies of the trial where some athletes actually uh, took their medals and threw them <laughs> um, on the floor and uh, they they, they uh, say that they refused the medal, they wanted to um, uh, give it back uh, to the FINA or, uh, or, or, the IAF, or the IAF or whatever, they, because they don't deserve it, because uh, it was uh, won um, because of doping. But obviously these uh, are people who um, uh, seek because of doping and of course uh, uh, for them uh, it's uh, it's 
difficult to accept. Even a, a, a gold medal at the Olympics, which is something extraordinary, they just can't uh, uh, can't see that they don't want it in their house. So they just uh, they, they throw it away because they 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 linked it to the um, health condition. Although uh, they uh, did achieve what they achieved through uh, uh, determination to um, uh, um, endless hours of training. And uh, let's uh, not forget that, yes, as you mentioned before, doping alone can't help you. And uh, this is an interesting question. Um, It's a philosophical question, you can argue. (laughs) Uh, 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 endlessly um, uh, without reaching a conclusion but it, it is something that I, um, I like to explore in the, in the book uh, um, because obviously uh, you, you train like crazy, you uh, for years you, you live away from your family um, you can't eat ice cream, you can't eat this, you can't do that um, the, 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 some of the trainers can be also difficult and uh, there was Bullism and uh, sort of um, lots of different situations, and then you finally win uh, a medal. And then after twenty years, they tell you, "No, sorry, uh, that medal is not uh, uh, yours. So you didn't uh, win it fairly because uh, they gave you doping." Some athletes, they some athletes, they they said, "Okay, yeah, maybe I took drugs, but I deserve my medals because I trained hard for years, and uh, so that's it." And uh, they don't want to discuss it anymore. Uh, others, uh, they throw the medals away. So again, we have the whole spectrum of situations. Others they just remain silent; they don't say anything, and and they carry on with a normal life. It's a, it's a really interesting. It's a fascinating book. It's been a real revelation for me. So the book is called "Synthetic Medals: East German Athletes' Journey to Hell." It's published by Pitch Publishing. If you're at all interested in East Germany or sports history. It is a fascinating read. I learned a lot from this book, so it's definitely Cold War Conversations recommended. You can buy the book and help support the podcast via the links in the episode notes. Don't miss the episode extras such as videos, photos and other content. Just look for the link in the podcast information. The podcast wouldn't exist without the generous support of our financial supporters and I'd like to thank one and all of them for keeping the podcast on the road. If you'd like to help the project, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. The Cold War Conversation continues in our Facebook discussion group. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thanks very much for listening and see you next week. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community 
received the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.